1: Welcome to WTS Waikato, sharing the hyperlocal, controversial, and quirky stories of the Waikato region. I'm your host, Gary Farrow. On February 19, 2023, I visited an airstrip in the south of Hamilton. Its purpose was to teach people of all ages the art of flying planes. They succeeded. Today the public call it people playing toy planes. The flyers call it Hamilton Model Aero Club.
2: Rice, england i've been in the hobby for probably two to three years now i first got interested when i was a kid and i had balsa wood and tissue rubber bands on them and you go find a hill and throw them and you try and get the plane to fly level and down but back then i didn't have any means to get into it um, so i spent quite a few years wanting to fly i had little helicopters like the little small ones you can fly around and I'd fly them, but they didn't really have the scale I wanted. I felt I wanted something bigger, and that was a big step up. So I ended up during COVID ordered the Tundra, my plane, first plane really from um, overseas. Came in, put it together, and once that we we're out of lockdown, joined the model club, came out <laughs> and said, "Please teach me to fly, because I'm going to destroy this thing." <laughs> That's really how I got into it i was expecting to crash it i played around with planes from remote control and i just fighting trying to get the plane level while trying to learn the controls was too much for me so i went club can you teach me i said yep just join up come on out so i did and that got me started and then just joined with the group here and my little yellow jenny there that was one of the club members planes but it had damage and he didn't want anymore so handed it to me and i got to practice pulling a plane apart putting it back together Figuring out how it works and getting it flying again, which is quite a proud moment.
1: Absolutely, so there's,
2: there's a lot of just learning. For me, it's I had a I got a little flight simulator at home, just put some hours on the stick, just going around in circles and trying to land it. And then you come out to the field, and I felt much more confident with my plane. So it survived really well; and didn't really crash. But that's what the tuition it was fantastic. That guided me through it. That, dream about having one of those planes and just get into it it was cool
1: there's a lot to be mindful of when you're working on these planes uh, if one thing is out of whack uh, you would you would you would see the results wouldn't you
2: oh yes so the yellow one when I brought it out had been sitting on the shelf for a year when I flew it around it was diving all over this place and it was just not in what we call trim so I think what happened is the surface has just bent or warped over time, just sitting still. And then I managed to get it down, then I just tuned it, tweaked it, adjusted it and took it up and it flew much nicer. So the trimming on the plane has, is really important. If it's out of trim, the plane can just dive into the ground when you're not watching. If you're, you get flustered or if you're fighting for it, um, you're always fighting to hold the controls in position. Rather than a trim plane, you basically let go of the controls, so it just holds its line. Um, worse than that is if you haven't checked over your plane and you've got breakage in it so my tundra which I've been flying almost every control surface is worn out over the three years I've had it it's only made of foam so that there's a foam connection and just bends and flexes and snaps so you got to do your, what we call ground checks before you take off and you just check all the connections on the plane check your servos check your elevators your ailerons the control surfaces and if anything's disconnecting fix it before you fly
1: pretty much exactly as you do with a real plane.
2: Yeah, ground <laughs> checks. Last week when I came out, I was about to fly my, the Mustang I'm, I'm practicing on and learning how to fly, I still haven't mastered it. And putting it together, I, I just checked the surveys, everything looked good, and I found the lead just came straight off. It was going to be a catastrophic failure. So we fixed that, and then it flew beautifully landed, which was nice. So there are plenty of cases where ground check has saved your plane. It's all about knowing your Learn your plane, learn how it flies, what to watch out for on your plane so you can keep flying it next time. There's nothing worse than getting out to the airfield with your plane, one flight, putting it all back in the car and going home because it's broken. You'd rather stay out there, do three or four flights, put it back in the car, intact. and That's just, do your checks, you don't have to do ground checks, complete every flight, just once a time out of the airfield will work.
1: How many hours do you need to put into uh, airproofing these planes?
2: Airproofing? Well, most of them come airproofed. Yes. Yeah. The uh, park fly ones, they come ready to fly, they come for control, all that. You, and you're really just taking it out, going, do the control surfaces respond? Uh, do the does the elevator respond? So the plane will rise or fall in the sky? Does it roll in the sky or does it yaw in the sky, which is the rudder? If those surfaces are all connected and you, before you fly you'll test them all, you don't need to put much time into it. If you're making a plane from scratch, there's a bit more to it than that, because you've got to get all the surfaces lined up, but then you've got to get make sure the centre of gravity of the plane aligns with where the lift is, otherwise you'll get what's called a towel heavy plane and they don't land. <laughs> they crash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so every so often you'll check those. But, by and large, once you've set it, it's set and forget, and you just do a ground check, make sure everything, nothing's come loose, nothing's broken, and you can fly it the next time. Mm-hmm. You
1: basically have a working space at home to maintain I wish. your aircraft. Oh, us. Uh, it's
2: my <laughs> workbench is in the garage with everything else, and it's a joint space, and you've got to move the wife's stuff away, put your stuff on she moves your stuff away and you go, where are my (laughs) bits? So I would like a garage of my own for my planes, but that's on the wish list. Compared to the price of my planes, the garage is rather expensive, so make do, Um, my planes litter through my garage, they're stacked on top of everything for a while, but I've made a little rack and I've stacked them up the side, much tidier, less chance of damage.
1: So how many planes have you got?
2: Seven or eight, Right, it's not more. My kids uh, got to the builder's Christmas presents, so they've got out and spray can and painted the basic fuselage. Um, and now they've got to go through and get the, like, the resume tester pots with the colours they want, and then get a brush and paint them the colours they want. And then we'll put the controls on and then they can bring them out to the field and fly them. And then we'll have two more planes.
1: So it's a hobby which is really open to all ages, yeah, really. Like yeah. it, it, it isn't... It isn't terrifically hard to take on, as much as the responsibility, watching that plane go up now, I'm just (laughs) thinking, you know.
2: That that plane's a big step for a beginner. Yeah. It flies nice, it controls nice, it's very expensive. Yeah. Compared to my little planes. Mm -hmm. So the plane that's flying there will be like three grand's worth of plane. Right. Whereas the planes I'm flying are $300 worth of plane. Mm -hmm. And that's if you get it new. You Mm. can often pick up a second-hand one or you might have a family friend who's got one and they can teach you to fly on a, on a little park wire. And they are pretty resilient to crashing. Not right. too much damage. Whereas the one that's flying, if it hits the, the ground, the mass of it's just going to crush things. And how do crashes work out here?
1: Because it's quite um, it's quite boggy, isn't it?
2: It's, like... it's a peat area, but a working farm. So they've got the drainage in. So the crashes, they just hit the ground and the ground is as if it's normal. If it's been really wet, wear gumboots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, last week I crashed one of mine and it went nose first but the ground was so wet it actually just absorbed most of the plane impact so yeah. I've just got to replace the spinner and I'm good to go again yeah. we, get, we get the lawn mowed mm-hmm. so they come out once a week and mow it and then it makes a nice flat green to land on the worst is not this year but a couple of years ago the sun was very dry and the top surface of the landing field peels off being peaked yeah. so it's actually very thin and that becomes quite rough, and then the rabbits get in. Ah, uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> you got the
2: rabbits to get out a shovel, fill in the holes. Mm. But this year, before the rain, it's a really nice condition. Landing in the field, oh. touch and
1: go. Touch and go.
2: Sometimes <laughs> you'll bring along the field on one wheel, just tipped over.
1: Oh my goodness!
2: Just practicing a
1: skill. Better him than me. <laughs> That's
2: a skill and nose is playing. Put yeah. Get a beautiful landing, and then just. Tip it and hold it. And right. then, if you get into it, of course, we have a we go out to the lake about three, four times a year. Mm-hmm. You can take your water version of your plane, land there, take off.
1: Oh, so you have um, seaplanes?
2: You have seaplanes, yeah. So some of them are built with them. like My tundra you can take the plane and get off and put skis on it, mm-hmm. and you can practice landing in water, take it from land. Wow,
1: that's pretty cool. And you
2: then you need a boat to go fetch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. What happens? Yeah.
1: So that's Grant's plane there, obviously.
2: Yeah, he's our president. He's a really good flyer. If you test flying a plane, he'll check it. He'll fix the trim and do all of that for Mm you. It's
1: what you do when you're learning to fly a real plane. You do your touch and goes and that. And 50
2: hours, I think it is. And then on your own and touch and goes.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) I looked at that and went, I can't afford it. Model planes for me
1: yeah
2: <laughs> that's going to be I always wanted to fly but I can't afford that I fly model planes and get the thrill and you can you can do things in the sky on a model plane you can't do in a real plane without being growled at it's so exactly. that, a lot more freedom I think With an airfield you can just come out and there's no one to worry about you can just fly
1: yeah
2: do whatever crazy stuff you want to do as long as it don't endanger your colleagues um, I think it's it's mostly about a chance to relax and just, let go of the world and enjoy flying so let yourself not be stressed so I like coming out if you want to fly heaps come out fly heaps if you want to come out fly a little bit and watch others fly do that just determine what you want
1: and it's relatively easy to get into if you can invest in an aircraft
2: invest in aircraft or get someone one off someone who doesn't want it anymore Mm
1: -hmm. next up I made my way over to have a chat with Hamilton model aero club president Grant Finlay. Hey, are you Grant?
0: Good yeah, day. Hey.
1: You all right for a bit of a chat? Yeah, sure. Yeah, cool. <laughs>
0: awesome. So
1: you're down here with your, um, your aircraft. Would you like to describe the aircraft?
0: Uh, this is a decathlon uh, scale aircraft. Um, basically came in a box. So not a lot of work required to put it together. Um, but obviously a little bit of money t- to get it to this point. Um, essentially, what we call an ARF, which means almost ready to fly, but that's really a very loose term. Um, almost ready to fly means a lot more work <laughs> before it does actually get airborne. Um, most of the things we have to do with an almost ready to fly is um, mount the engine, maybe make, like in this particular aircraft, a custom muffler to uh, keep the noise down. Um, put in all the servos, which are the actuators that move the, the control surfaces around, um, install batteries, fuel tanks, fuel lines. Um, There's quite a lot of work, but uh, the end of the day, is it saves the actual building because we bought it out of a box. It's come from China. Um, yeah, you saved yourself a couple of years worth of work on the bench at home. So
1: um,
0: it's a case of, you know, I can go and earn a few dollars through my work and pay for an aeroplane, And be flying within you know three four six weeks um, as opposed to spending two years building something or other from scratch so that's why we call ARF kind of the society that we're in now Um, much more of this pre-built aircraft coming into the country than what we would see um, in like 40 years ago when I started flying everybody was building from kit sets of boxes full of balsa Um, you had to cover the airplane Um, Lots of work, lots and lots of work. Mm. I guess there's only so many hours in the day, these days, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we all work these days, Um, some of us twice as long as anybody else. Um, So yeah, when it comes to flying aeroplanes, if you can shake it out of a box and go flying within a few weeks, it's a lot easier than spending nights um, for months on end trying to finish an aeroplane.
1: Now, how did you first get into this? You see you've been into um, flying radio control aircraft
0: for 40 years pretty much radio control for 40 years. I've represented New Zealand over a dozen times uh, during that time. It came about from an uncle of mine who turned up one Christmas with a little foam glider and I probably was about five or six years old at that stage. He used to throw it around and I'd throw it around and we'd have a cool time together. Um, As time went on he liked radio control aircraft but never actually did anything himself so he would turn up at at the back door and say let's go to the the model radio control airfield which in that in those days was out the other side of Hamilton um, and so he'd take me out there and we would just watch the toy airplanes go around we call them toy airplanes but they're not really <laughs> they are miniature aircraft and um, that's kind of where I got my start and my love for it um, he passed away unfortunately and that was kind of the end of it for me um, until basically I got my first job and it's like I've always wanted to do radio control aeroplanes so, you know, the first thing the money got spent on was a radio control glider um, and from that point I just went up and up and up um, and like I said represented New Zealand over the years and uh, just haven't looked back. It's taken me all around the world, um, I've helped, um, well I've flown in the world champs in Germany myself, I've flown in uh, Tucson and Arizona in a competition there where I came second uh, in the class that I flew in. Um, I've helped another good friend of mine here in the Hamilton Club who's the world-class pilot um, in terms of what we call um, in the aerobatic scene, which is what we were flying, uh, the caller, which if you liken that to a co-driver in a car, uh, in a rally car, same sort of scenario as the caller, you're calling the shots for the the, um, aircraft uh, movers. And um, yeah, so we went to Las Vegas for five times over five, over about six or seven years. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where model airplanes can take you if you really want to let it go. Mm. And of course, I'm an aviation enthusiast through and through. Um, so I've been to numerous air shows. In fact, I'm off in a, a week's time for an air show in Australia. Um, and yeah, you know, if you've got the bug for aviation, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a model aircraft or a full size aircraft, um, you just love aviation. And uh, yeah, I have flown full-size myself um, in the light scene, did that for a number of years until I scared myself too much <laughs> and decided model aeroplanes was where I wanted to be. And as I've always said, with a model aeroplane, you can um, go out and have the worst day ever, crash your aeroplane, put all the bits in the car and you still go home and have a beer. Yeah. In a full-size aeroplane, you crash your aeroplane you're not in a happy state. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, right. yeah. so that's, that's where aviation and models have taken me and I haven't looked back and I'm certainly not going to stop uh, in the short term.
1: Now there's a bit of a breeze today, uh, does that have much effect on the aircraft or the aircraft
0: like um, yours here? Uh, a little bit of effect but at the end of the day most of the effect is psychological on the pilot. <laughs> um, I've always maintained if you learn to fly in the wind you'll get more flying days than if you don't. Um, so always treat the wind as your friend, know the wind and fly in the wind. Um, if you run away scared from it, you'll halve or three-quarter <laughs> the days that you're going to go flying. Um, but in saying that, some aircraft are suited for windier conditions. So if we get a lightweight aircraft made out of foam or something like that, you know, four, five, six, ten kilometres an hour is not, um, not too bad. But if you start getting to 15, 20 kgs, uh, 20 km an hour, then the aircraft is definitely going to be thrown around a little bit more. Um, you get a bigger aircraft like our one here, which is 3 metres in wingspan, um, we can be flying in 25 to 30 uh, km an hour wind, winds quite happily. But when it comes to landing, we want to be landing into wind. So if it's a crosswind, so it's not down the runway but across the runway, then obviously that aerocrane is just going to sit on the ground for the day because there are limits to what you'll do. Um, But I have another three metre aircraft here that I've flown in kilometres an hour, probably up to 50 kilometres an hour. And it's such a slow flying aeroplane, but at three metres, I've actually landed it on its wheels and not been moving forward. So
1: that gives you an
0: idea. (laughs) The limits of the wind are only up, up as far as the limits of the pilot. The pilot determines what's too windy. What are you working
1: on here at the moment? You look like, it looks like you're down on the ground under your car, but you're under your um <laughs> Under the plane.
0: Yeah, on this particular airplane I've just, uh, it has a fiberglass cowling on the nose um, covering the engine, but behind that the structure is made um, from balsa and it has a film, plastic film covering. And in the case of this, some of the covering has come loose and it was starting to peel back from the the fuselage where it stuck down. So what I've done is just put some temporary tape so we can carry on flying for the day. And when I get uh, home tonight, well, it'll be obviously a proper uh, repair job, but only a minor repair job in the scheme of things. Mm. So you've just been flying for maybe 15, 20
1: minutes. Um, Did you notice that um, when you, when you landed the aircraft and brought it in just now?
0: Oh, I actually saw it um, on a couple of passes when I came through to land so once I noticed it, it was like oh well we better get in and, and land. Um, this aircraft capable of flying for up to half an hour on a tank of gas um, whereas I normally see it a timer for about 15 minutes and I think we did about 12 minutes then and I was oh, like okay. I thought oh yeah we've got a, a bit of covering coming off if I leave it there it's going to just keep peeling further and further back so mm. come in land it put some tape on it and go flying again mm. <laughs> now
1: um, you would is it how is it in terms of getting members for this club membership
0: is always difficult um as with many um, clubs I guess, finding juniors to come into the, the uh, club and stay is a real big um, issue um, and that's, that's right across the whole New Zealand scene and the world scene really. Um, juniors will come in, they'll fly, they'll learn to fly, they'll learn to fly really well but then they'll go and find something else like skateboarding or surfing or um, you know electronic games, those sorts of things. And you, you can't blame a junior because they're out exploring the world and seeing what they want to do. So from a membership point of view, that's real difficult to, to maintain that. The majority of members that we see come through a junior are actually uh, sons and daughters of flying members. Um, and that's quite prevalent right across the whole of the country. Um, so the junior numbers coming into the, the, um, the scene is, is, is smaller than we'd like, but it's understandable. Um, so where our membership really lies is those, I guess, if you want to say the 40-plus group, they've basically been done their, all the things they wanted to do. They've had a family, wife, etc. Kids are now growing up and sort of semi um, on their own. And they're starting to go like, oh, I'd like to do something, but I've, I've got all the spare time and I've got a little bit of spare money. What can I do? And then that's when the... Oh, I remember an air show or something or other back when I was a kid, and that was really cool. And, Maybe I'll give more aeroplanes to fly. Um, And like all of us, the older you get, it takes a little bit longer to pick it up. But the model aircraft and that that are around these days um, help the training situation a a heck of a lot better than they ever did um, when I was learning to fly. When I learned to fly, it was go out there, experiment, crash, rebuild, experiment, recrash, rebuild. Um, Nowadays, the success rate is a lot lot higher. when you come into it at that sort of 40 age group where your motor schools are not quite as fast as they were when you were 15 and 16, it's still an achievable um, object. And we, we kind of, you know, aim to get those 40 year people and give them as much help as they need because they're the sort of people that are gonna go like, yeah, I've actually achieved something and I'll stick with the hobby. Um, and most of these guys here have been that sort of scenario. And um, so, you know, juniors are great and we love to have them, but at the same time, we also like to see the the members come through that we know are going to stay and stick with the hobby. Um, And that's really the hard part is is keeping uh, keeping members. Um, About two to three years ago, before COVID, we were sitting around 80 odd members, Um, but with COVID and everything else and the world situation and and money being tight, um, we've got a core group that have kind of stayed, but that fringe group um, have seen us drop down to just over 60 odd members, uh, which is quite a significant drop for us um, in terms of our our capital, you know, expenditure and everything. We've got ongoing costs with uh, mowing and uh, our club nights and post boxes and, and you know all those sorts of things that it takes to run the club. Um, as your membership drops, where do you th- where does that money come from? Um, so you know, digging into our pockets. It's part of the solution, but it's not the whole solution, so more members is, is the best way to go. And So if we can increase membership again, that would be a, an ultimate goal really. Mm. The club would be pretty much entirely self-funded then? We're entirely self-funded. Um, we pay a, a fee every year, but actually half of what we pay as that fee goes to our national association and they provide all those services around um, negotiating with the Civil Aviation Authority and Airways New Zealand so we have airspace to fly in, Um, they deal with the insurance so we're fully insured for any accidents we have here on the flying site so if we have an aircraft runs into a BMW or a Mercedes it's not a problem because we're fully insured for that sort of thing however if you go and fly in a park as a lone member Um, or even a non-member, you run the risk of of any damage you're going to, it's going to come out of your pocket. So um, there are real benefits to belonging to the model club. Um, And as you can see out here, we've got an open field. There's literally nothing around us. The only things we can fly into are ourselves or the ground. Um, You're not going to fly in a park and and run into somebody's front door or through their roof or something like that, which we know has happened, because we've heard the stories and, uh, you know, we really recommend people come and join the club because apart from being an open source of information and that from all your club members, you've got a beautiful flying site that's safe and you're getting support. So the, the chances of having a, an accident are, are far reduced out here than what you would be if you tried to give it a go at yourself in the park. So legally,
1: financially, regarding safety, socially and I guess learning to be a model aircraft pilot as well, those are all advantages of the club.
0: Oh absolutely, you know you, you won't find a better a bunch of people to come and support you through your learning stages um, and you know quite often we call ourselves the lunch group because we'll come out here and sit down in the chairs and all have a chat about aviation or anything that's going at the time. Um, It's a real social environment and flying sometimes, for some of these people, comes, comes secondary. It's just about being a part of the aviation scene and what's going on at the time. So everything's here that you need, whether it's support, whether it's help flying, or whether it's just coming out for a chat, we've got it all. If you're interested in model aeroplanes and you want to see what's going on, feel free to come out here any weekend. Preferably around sort of 11am in the morning because that's when most of the action happens. And from there, you can just take your interest um, as you see it. If, you, if it's something for you, this is the place to be. If it's not, then model cars or uh, model trains or something else might be uh, up your alley. You know, There's a world of skilled entertainment out there for people who want to use their hands and their skills and their motor skills. And it doesn't have to be an electronic box in front of a TV. And the reality is, if you're
2: out
0: here, it's real. (laughs) Yeah. That's all I can say. Out here, it's real.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of WTS Waikato. If you liked what you heard, you can follow the show on Facebook or find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen. WTS Waikato aims to share the hyperlocal, controversial and quirky stories of the Waikato region. I'm your host Gary Farrow. If you have any stories you think are worth sharing, email me technician at freefm.org.nz and we can try plan something out. You can also get in touch with me via the WTS Waikato Facebook page. I look forward to hearing from you. Mā te wā.